Well, do take a seat. And if you take hold of one of the Bibles near you again, that would be great. And turn back to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. And let me apologize to those who diligently uh, look at the term card who were expecting the next installment of 1 John this evening. I've had a bout of man flu this week. Half of you all know how serious that is. The other half need to work on your sympathy. Um, it's felt more like a consumption or something I've had. I think that's what they would have called it in the old days. Uh, anyway, it limited my preparation time. So uh, we're going to look at this uh, Advent theme I was doing with the students the other week. And we'll come back to 1 John uh, sometime uh, next year. Uh, well, two days to go. Are you excited? Uh, Christmas is uh, coming Almost all the windows on your Advent calendar opened up, I'm sure. Advent, Advent, it feels just like the lead up to Christmas, uh, doesn't it? But as, uh, Philip, for those of you who were here this morning, Philip was reminding us again. Traditionally, it was the time uh, that the church remembered not so much Jesus' first coming, uh, but that he's going to come again. And our reading tonight directs our attention there. Well, let me ask you as well, what's your Christmas wish list like this year? Uh, You've got a little handout. There's a a sort of one drawn there for you. Have you made up a Christmas wish list? Uh, What are you hoping for come Tuesday? Uh, What are you looking forward to? Uh, Good time with family or friends? Uh, Time for rest after all your hard work? You're looking forward to maybe putting your feet up, watching the TV? Uh, The best meal of the year. I remember a couple of years ago sitting down for the best meal of the year and a family member saying, you look like you've put on weight. Uh, What kind of a thing is that to say before Christmas dinner? Just one roast potato for me, please. Um, Or have you made a request for a specific present? Uh, You know what you want and what you're hoping for. Christmas is, is one of those occasions most of us really look forward to. But the Bible says... And we'll see in our reading tonight that we should really look forward, if we're Christians, the thing we should really look forward to is is Jesus' return. That should start to fill our hopes. And that's where we'll find the ultimate Christmas wish list. Here's the the first kind of heading for tonight. It's on your handout, if you're following with that. The gospel, a gift not just for Christmas. There'll be all sorts of uh, books given and received this Christmas, I don't know if you've ever uh, read a book and come across a reference to someone that you know. It immediately makes it a bit more interesting, doesn't it? Oh, I know them. It makes you feel like you know someone uh, famous. I used to work for UCCF, the University and Colleges Christian Fellowship, um, working with students in the universities. And one of the other staff workers was uh, a girl called Laura. Uh, to be fair, I didn't know her very well. Uh, we worked in different uh, parts of the country. <coughs> It's there a few times at conferences, but I was reading this book from, from Cambridge uh, to the world. It's the history of the Cambridge Christian Union. Uh, it was the first uh, CU uh, proper in the country. And, and Lauren is mentioned in it. She was a, a staff worker there a, a number of years back. Uh, and I came across her mention. This, this is what it says. Um, it was a time, it's referring to a time when the Cambridge CU were doing a kind of mission week, an events week, telling uh, the university uh, about the Lord Jesus and this is what it says. The testimony in the Friday evening meeting uh, was by Laura Howarth, an Oxford graduate who was working in Cambridge as the UCCF staff worker. The evening's theme was on facing the future, and Laura spoke on how she was facing death in her early 30s. Only three months earlier, a consultant had diagnosed her as having inoperable lung cancer. She spoke with great honesty 
about how she reacted to the news, affirming her quiet but firm trust in Jesus Christ. She died 11 months later, on the 23rd of January, 2002. It's quite something when you read a book and come across somebody that you know. I knew what had happened to, to Laura. I died in her early 30s, younger than me. My death is terribly sad. And it's something of that feeling, I think, that seems to prompt Paul to write this little part of 1 Thessalonians that we're going to look at tonight. Thessalonica was a, a young church. They'd gone through some persecution. And it seems they were also reeling from, an, from a number of deaths. So Paul writes these words. And you know what it'll be like uh, for many of us come Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday morning, when you gather down in your lounge or your living room, wherever it is, uh, some of us will unwrap presents and we'll look at them and we'll say, what is that? <laughs> I've never seen one of those before. And for a few of you, a few of you uh, lucky ones, it'll have been chosen by someone good, won't it? And they always get you good presents. And as you say, now what is that? They'll explain what it is and how it works. And you'll think, that's brilliant. I love that. I've never seen one of those before. I've never seen one of those before. I would never have thought of that for myself. That's that's great. And that's (coughs) something of what Paul is doing with the gospel here. He's unwrapping this gift and explaining it's not just for Christmas. And as we look at the gospel and Jesus' return with these Christians in Thessalonica, we should find something that will thrill us. See, Paul tells them why he's writing. At the first half of verse 13, in front of you, he says, Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, about those who die. We don't want you to be ignorant. The second half of verse 13, he says, we do not want you to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. And then at the end of this little passage in verse 18, he says, therefore, encourage each other with these words. So he's writing to stop them being ignorant, to help them with grief, to show them how to encourage each other. And he does that by reminding them of what the gospel means. And focusing them on Jesus' return. He unwraps it for them again. See, if you're a Christian then, getting to know the gospel now, having your hope fixed in Jesus, his death, resurrection and return, should lead to at least three things in the present. Uh, They're on that little diagram on your handout. Our our hope in Jesus now leads us to, to understanding reality. To handling our emotions. And to being able to give genuine encouragement. Let me just tell you what I mean. The the gospel helps you understand life. It stops us being ignorant. We know why we're alive. And we'll know why we die. It informs our minds, enables us to articulate answers. I don't know if you found that this past year. You've been able to make more sense of, of life. You just feel you're making decisions about work and family, even if they're difficult, but you're making them in an informed way. Even friends who are not Christians, asking you tricky questions, you've been able to talk things through with them. (coughs) 
And look, for, for some of us, because of the way we're wired, uh, we're the kind of people who feel more at the mercy of our emotions, don't we? Up and down. Uh, now, Paul seems to think that knowing Jesus, knowing the gospel, uh, will affect our emotions for the good. Not that we'll never be sad or never grieve, but we won't do that in a way that suggests that we don't have any hope of sadness ending. And then the last thing, that the gospel equips us to serve others in a meaningful way. See, it's the gospel, thinks Paul, that gives content to our encouragement. So that we're not merely saying, well, I'm sure it'll be fine. I wonder if that's been your experience. Have you got to know Jesus better this past year? Have you been understanding the gospel? Has knowing Jesus been shaping your thinking? Affecting your emotions. Equipping you to serve other people. It's really good if it has been. It might be that you're actually finding yourself with, with actually thinking confused. Emotions all over the place. See, if that's you, I, I don't think Paul would be giving you a hard time. No, he knows life can be troubling and unsettling, uh, but he would say, Maybe you've not understood Advent. Get to know Jesus better. So the more you understand the gospel, the more it will affect your thoughts and feelings. And that should, shouldn't it, affect the way we think about our personal Bible reading, about coming to church like this, about our home groups. We don't just study the Bible because that's what we do. No, we're wanting to get to know Jesus better. They're not duties to make God love us. No, they're opportunities, generous ones, from a God who already does. See, the gospel's encouragement is not just for Christmas. The hope that it gives us for the future uh, should shape our living, our thinking, and our feeling every day. Well, let's see something of this encouragement. Here's the second thing in your handout. Knowing Jesus, we have the pattern of what our lives will be. And knowing Jesus, we have the pattern of what our lives will be. In the face of death, what is it that Christians hope for? What do we ultimately expect to happen to us when we die? We might talk about going to heaven, and it's not that that's completely wrong, it's just that it can give you the wrong idea. See, did you notice verse 16? Just have a look at it. Because as you read that again, you notice that Paul's not so much concerned with people going to heaven but with Jesus coming back from heaven. Well, that's odd, isn't it? In helping these Christians think about death, he doesn't say as his main point, well, don't worry, their spirits have gone to be with Jesus. Although I think that's the implication of verse 14 when he talks about falling asleep in him. Not even death separates the believer from Jesus. If we're Christians when we die, then our spirits do go immediately to be with the Lord. But uh, that's not the end of it for us. Paul wants to uh, think about Jesus coming back. We had a a student team meal the other other Thursday. Uh, At the end of it, we do, it's kind of like a student team Christmas party. At the end of it, we do what we do every year. We, We play a version of Secret Santa. I don't know if you've ever played it. A secret Santa, everyone brings a present. It's great, a wrapped present. Uh, everyone's given a number, and the first person chooses a present and unwraps it. 
And the second person, this is where it gets good, can either choose a new present or steal the first person's present. It's great fun. It, it all builds up uh, as, more people, uh, as more people get involved and more presents get involved. Uh, I, I went home with this present. Here it is. This was my secret Santa at the end of the night. Um, a couple of knitting needles and some, some wool. That's very good. I don't know much about knitting. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I understand Jim Crossley, if some of you know Jim Crossley, has dabbled in knitting in the past. And so perhaps he'll be able to give me some advice. I suppose from the little I know about knitting, it seems quite good wool as well. Um, from the little I know about knitting, I suppose the thing I'll need is a pattern. That's what you need for knitting, isn't it? A pattern show you what's meant to happen and what things will look like in the end. I'm sure that's the way it'll work for me. I'll just get a pattern, I'll work out in the end. But that's what patterns do. They show you what's meant to happen, what things will look like in the end. I don't know if the Apostle Paul was into knitting. Probably not. He was a tent maker. But he understands about patterns. He, He does know about them because he tells us in verse 14, not so much that the gospel is how God rescues people, although of course it is that. He wants to tell us as well that the gospel is also the pattern of where we're heading for. See, look at it with me, verse 14. Here's what he says. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. A similar idea, verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. Jesus died and rose again. Christians who die will rise again. When Jesus returns, we will be raised up like Jesus. The Christians aren't hoping for heaven in the sense of some eternal experience where your spirit floats around singing songs. And we're heading for resurrection. And we know that because Jesus gives us the pattern. All sorts of questions uh, can come through your mind uh, when you think about the life to come. What, what will we look like? Will we know each other? Be able to remember things? Oh, Jesus says the pattern. See, Luke records in his gospel uh, one of the encounters between the risen Jesus and his disciples. You don't need to look it up just now. I'll read it out to you. But it's in Luke 24. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. He said to them, Do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. When Jesus was raised, he looked like himself. I guess you and I will too. He had a body that could be touched. He was on the whole recognized and remembered by his friends. In many, many ways we'll be like we are now and yet we'll also be different. Jesus will never die again. And neither will we. And the reason for that is because all the problems in life caused by sin will be history and never to trouble us again. 
will have a body fit for purpose, fit for eternal life. It was an incredible fight, I'm told, Muhammad Ali versus George Foreman. Uh, the rumble in the jungle back in the 70s. It took place in the heat of Zaire, now Congo. Uh, Foreman was expected to win, I'm told. And Muhammad Ali employed strange tactics. He taunted Foreman, but stayed pretty close to him throughout the fight. And he got pummeled round after round after round. And no one realized what he was doing. Letting George Foreman use all his energy in the heat of that place. And when George Foreman tired... Muhammad Ali leaned in close and said, Is that all you've got? There was one-way traffic from that point. A foreman was a spent force. He had nothing left. George Foreman was a daunting opponent. He'd done his worst. He'd pummeled Muhammad Ali. But in the end, it was Ali who walked off victorious. Now, death is a daunting opponent. But Jesus has faced it head on. And he's defeated it. And we believe that Jesus died and rose again. It's as if he's leaned in close and said, is that all you've got? And he shares it with Christians, with those who are in him. Death can do its worst, but in the end, it'll be us, not death, that walk off victorious. Laura Howarth was a CU staff worker. And she died in her early 30s. It is terribly sad. But she was a Christian. And Christians believe in the resurrection. So Christians who knew her won't grieve like people with no hope. They can say to death through the tears, is that all you've got? I guess there's an implication from that as, as well. See, if we're going to be raised like Jesus, then when Jesus returns we will enjoy new creation. So we're heading for a real physical creation. In the Bible's understanding of life, there's, there's nothing wrong with creation itself. It's just that it's been made futile by human sin. And in rescuing Jesus, in, in rescuing people, uh, Jesus is not taking us away from creation. No, he's, he's restoring creation. We'll live in it perfectly, without any sin or death to spoil it. The things you enjoy in this life. What is it sport? Or art? Or food? Or friends? The good things, gifts from a generous and creative God. And there might be differences in the new creation, but it will be a new creation. We will do things that we love, enjoy, and that glorify God the giver. Who knows, uh, God may change maths and physics a bit, be good if he did. I could understand them a little bit better. But we'll live real lives in real bodies. I guess, like uh, many of you, I, I love the Narnia stories. Uh, I read them when I was younger, and again when I was older. Uh, the, the last book in the series, The Last Battle. I'm sure many of you have read it. Uh, the children who've been in Narnia, Peter and Lucy and the rest, who've enjoyed living in this wonderful land of Narnia, are sad at the end of this book. Because Narnia seems to be coming to an end. And they're heading into Aslan's country. Aslan is the king. And then one of them says this uh, to Peter. Listen, Peter. When Aslan said to you, you could never go back to Narnia. He meant the Narnia you were thinking of, but that was not the real Narnia. That had a beginning and an end. It was only a shadow 
or a copy of the real Narnia, which has always been here and always will be here, just as our world, England and all, is only a shadow or copy of something in Aslan's real world. You need not mourn over Narnia, Lucy. All of the old Narnia that mattered, all the dear creatures have been drawn into the real Narnia through the door. And of course it's different. As different as a real thing is from a shadow or as waking life is from a dream. I guess this all has implications as well for for what we need to fit into this life. You always see these kind of uh, things on the TV. What would you like to do before you're 40? Some of us, that's too late. Well, actually, not, not for me. I'm not 40 yet. What would you like to do before you're 40? What, what would you like to do before you die? Have you got a list of things that you would like to do? Because it, it's fine to visit New Zealand or New York if you'd like to see them. I'd love to see them. It, it sounds fun to swim with dolphins. Some people think it's fun to swim with sharks. As long as you don't think you've got to fit those things in before you die. As long as you don't think that when you die, all the opportunities to enjoy real life will be gone. No, on that day you'll find all the things you enjoyed about this life were just shadows of the real things to come. And we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. We believe in resurrection. As Isaiah put it in our first reading, the Lord has swallowed up death. No more death. Now here's the last thing. And knowing Jesus, we're assured that our lives matter. Have you been invited to any parties over Christmas and New Year? You had any invitations come? I've had an invitation. Actually, I've had two invitations to New Year's party. I feel very popular. Uh, the other year, I, I'm told, Vladimir Patanin, uh, a Russian billionaire, there's always Russian billionaires these days, it seems, uh, but he held a New Year's Eve party for 300 guests. And he paid George Michael $3 million to play for them for an hour. It's not bad, is it? That's a good hourly rate. Are really generous to pay that much to give your guests a rare privilege. Can you imagine being invited to that event? Now Paul's telling us in this section of 1 Thessalonians about Act 2 of history's main event. Act 1, that was Jesus' first coming, his death and resurrection. And then Act 2 is here in verse 15. Just have a look at it. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left at, and here's the event, who are left at the coming of the Lord. Uh, the word that's translated uh, coming of the Lord there is, is the word parousia. It's a word that's used for kind of the arrival of either a royal party, a, a king, or maybe perhaps the king's representative. A, a city would come out to greet them. And I guess the important ones would be at the front and get to meet him. It was the main event. And that's the idea Paul wants us to have with Jesus coming back. Christians have been invited to history's main event. And not a concert by George Michael, but the, the final visible defeat of death and sin. 
If Vladimir Putanin paid $3 million in order to be able to invite guests to his event, in anyone's book, that's really generous. The Lord Jesus paid much more to invite you and me to this event. Verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And because of that, we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Uh, The gospel does show us the pattern of our future. Uh, But it also shows us how generous God has been. Jesus has paid for you to be there. He's paid the price for your invitation. Uh, Paul doesn't need to go into the details here because they already know and believe it. Jesus willingly died in the place of sinful people. People like you and me, so we could be invited uh, to the main event. And he's so desperate for you to be there that not even death will keep you from it. Let's see verse 16 again. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise. After that, we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Well, just as we draw to a close, let me mention a few implications. See, knowing Jesus then will mean, well, here's three things. We won't miss anything good. We'll be in the place where we're known and wanted. And there will be no more goodbyes. And we won't miss anything good. Again, Paul's not giving us lots of details here about what the life to come will be like. But it is a parousia, a coming in glory that we're invited to. It's the main event. The king will be there. The one who made all of life. The one who's behind everything in this life that you enjoy. If you've enjoyed anything in this life, what will be our enjoyment on that day? We'll feel all our previous enjoyment was just a warm-up. It will be like Aslan's words at the end of the last battle. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And we'll be in the place where we're known and wanted. In ancient Perusias, kings would often send representatives. You see Paul's point in verse 16. The Lord himself will come down from heaven. He isn't sending anyone else. He's not sending an angel for you. And he calls to those who belong to him, and wherever you are, you'll hear him. He's coming for you. God loves you in Jesus with a strong love. He knows you and wants you. And there will be no more goodbyes. At Christmas is a great time for families to get together. It's always a bit sad, isn't it, at the end of it when we say goodbye. Especially if some are living far away, we won't see them for a long time. It is one of the sadnesses of death as well, isn't it? And much more permanently it feels saying goodbye to people. Earlier this year, you know, I had to do that with my mum. And many of you more recently than me have had to do similar things. It's encouraging to know, isn't it, that Jesus doesn't seem to be a big fan of goodbyes. He's going to put an end to them. It's verse 17, isn't it? And so we will be with the Lord forever. We will be with the Lord forever. We, a community of people, enjoying real physical life with nothing to spoil it, not even your sin. You've been invited there by Jesus. He's paid for your invitation at the cross, forgiven all your sin. 
This is what Advent looks forward to. And this is the gospel, the good news. This is the ultimate Christmas wish list. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that the good news about you, this gospel message, informs our thinking, explains to us what the future will be like. But thank you as well, it also settles troubled hearts. It helps our tears to be moderated and gives us joy in the midst of sadness. And thank you as well that it gives us real content for encouragement. And we pray for ourselves in the year ahead that we would encourage one another with this great gospel message about your love for us. And we ask it in your precious name. Amen. We'll take hold of your uh, hymn.